Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Family Law Talk. Family Law Talk. Presented by Kirk Stangy of Stangy Law Firm, PC. Stangy Law Firm is a family law firm with offices in Missouri and Illinois. Now, here's your host, Kirk Stangy. Welcome to Family Law Talk. We have an interesting topic today. The topic is marital misconduct and divorce. It's an important topic, one that clients have lots of questions about. Uh, when they're going through a divorce. And this is based on an article on FamilyLawHeadquarters.com dated uh, September 6, 2015. So as a follow-up to the episode today, go to FamilyLawHeadquarters.com and you can check out the article titled, What Effect Does Marital Misconduct Have in a Divorce? That would be a good follow-up to the topic here today. But again, here's the topic, and the topic involves marital misconduct and divorce. And the question lots of folks have is, does marital misconduct matter anymore? Is it something that the court uh, takes into account in regards to the resolution of the case? And then some folks still wonder whether or not they need to prove marital misconduct in order to get divorced. Um, and so that's a question individuals have as well. And obviously the laws vary uh, by state. Uh, there's specific nuances, uh, specific uh, differences in various statutes across the states. Uh, regarding exactly how this works. So it's important uh, that you definitely check with a family law attorney in your state uh, to, to, you know, to figure out what the laws are, you know, what effect marital misconduct may or may not have in your case, uh, because, again, this can vary. Uh, all of that said, uh, New York in 2010 uh, adopted no-fault divorce, and I'm not a New York attorney, but that's my understanding, uh, that New York adopted no-fault divorce in, in 2010. And so with that move, uh, it is now uniform throughout the states that, uh, you know, you don't have to prove fault to get divorced. And so, again, there's specific nuances, specific differences in the various states out there. And I'm an attorney in Missouri, uh, in Illinois, is where I primarily practice, um, and, and this is where our firm has uh, offices is, is in Missouri and Illinois. And, and, and the reality of the situation here is this, is in Missouri uh, and Illinois, and again, there could be different nuances between the states in terms of how this is exactly worded, but uh, in a general sense, if, if both parties agree that the marriage is irretrievably broken and there's no reasonable likelihood that it can be saved, and again, this can be worded slightly different, um, then uh, from there, um, uh, a court can grant a divorce and almost always does. Uh, there's some specific differences. In other words, in uh, in Missouri, there's a 30-day wait period still from the day that the case is filed uh, to the day um, uh, at the end of the day that the court can grant the divorce. And then in Illinois, there's been some new changes uh, to the laws, which are going to take place next year, where even where the parties agree uh, that the marriage is broken, irretrievably broken, they want to get divorced, there's a separation period uh, that still uh, has to be met in order for a court uh, to grant a divorce. Uh, and that period has changed and gone down to six months, which is the parties have to be separated for six months. Uh, but that said, you know, past the waiting period in Missouri and the separation period in Illinois, which will go into effect uh, next year, which went from two years down to six months, uh, parties don't have to prove fault in order to get divorced. And so what is fault? Well, fault could be lots of different things historically. Uh, if you study 
you know, the way courts handle divorce uh, proceedings through the years. I mean, fault can be cheating or an affair. Um, it could be abuse of some kind, domestic violence. Um, at the end of the day, uh, it could be abandonment where one spouse picks up and leaves, uh, doesn't return. Uh, it could be a situation of financial misconduct of some kind. Um, could be like gambling, for example. Uh, and, and there's various other uh, conduct that a court could have considered fault as well. And so historically, before the advent of no-fault divorce, what folks typically had to show, and again, the laws varied by state, right? So there's specific nuances, and I'm very much generalizing. Um, but historically, what folks had to show was some kind of fault to get divorced, just alleging that the marriage is broken, irretrievably broken, and that the parties at the end of the day aren't in love anymore, don't want to be married, that wasn't enough. There needed to be uh, fault proven. And so with the advent of no-fault divorce, you strip that out, and if both parties agree that the marriage is irretrievably broken and there's no reasonable likelihood it can be saved, uh, then at the end of the day, you know, folks can get divorced. You know, again, in Missouri, you got a 30-day wait period. Over in Illinois, the law's changed, but now the parties need to be still physically separated for a period of six months. And so with all of that, people hear no-fault divorce, you know, uncontested divorce, this kind of terminology, and lots of folks still wonder what role fault still has in divorce proceedings. Some individuals, uh, when they hear this concept of no-fault divorce or uncontested divorce, they assume that fault now has no bearing whatsoever on the outcome of a divorce, and they think it's completely irrelevant. Uh, some individuals, on the other hand, are still very interested um, in terms of looking into fault during the marriage, in terms of putting evidence on at a trial or a hearing uh, to the court to show that their spouse maybe acted wrongly during the marriage, acted in a way that they think is unacceptable, and they're still interested in pursuing this information and putting this information on uh, to the court with the idea that somehow it's going to affect the case in a way that's beneficial to them uh, and maybe to others. Um, you know, they feel as if just bringing this out into the open allows them to move on, I guess, in some ways. And so, you know, well, maybe it doesn't ultimately affect the outcome. Uh, it, it allows a party sort of figuratively to move on with their life. And so you get kind of caught in this quandary. So the issue is, is with the advent of no-fault divorce, does fault matter anymore? Is it worth the time? Is it worth the energy? Is it worth the fees um, that one might incur? to try to put evidence on a fault, and, and can this even be admitted in court at all? In other words, does a court even allow uh, this kind of testimony? And again, I'm going to speak very generally <clears throat> because the laws in each state, again, can vary, and different judges can rule differently in different jurisdictions. And, and obviously, you know, facts of cases can be different, which can lead to uh, definitely different results. Again, I'm going to speak very generally, and it's important to speak with an attorney about your specific situation uh, to try to determine how your case might specifically play out. But here's the deal, which is while you don't have to prove fault to get divorced in Missouri or Illinois, in Missouri, interestingly, uh, when the court, <clears throat> at the end of the day, divides property and debt, uh, in Missouri, the law indicates that the court is to divide marital property and marital debt, which is property accrued during marriage, which is not separate in a just manner when considering various factors. Now, there's various factors that the court can look at in making a just division, but the one we're going to talk about today, just for purposes of this episode, is the conduct of the parties during the marriage. 
And so the Missouri statute indicates that the court still, in dividing marital property and marital debt, can consider the conduct of the parties during the marriage. That's interesting. And so that, uh, in a lot of ways, brings the potential for conduct to come back into a case even when conduct doesn't need to be shown in order to get divorced. So theoretically, a court could not like the conduct of one of the parties and theoretically uh, decide not to divide the property in an exact 50-50 manner um, because the court is displeased with the conduct of one of the parties during the marriage. So it's one of the factors. Now, there's multiple other factors. Uh, It's just one of the factors. And again, the court doesn't have to consider it at all. Uh, A party can attempt to put evidence on about conduct, and the court ultimately might not be swayed uh, to deviate from some, you know, a 50-50 property division or whatnot uh, based on conduct. But the court has some ability to look at it and and, and make a finding uh, in terms of conduct of the parties, and the court could consider it ultimately in Missouri. Interestingly, over in Illinois, the statute's the opposite which is the court is not to consider the conduct of the parties if you if you read the plain language of the statute in terms of property and debt division. So again, you see a difference between Missouri and Illinois. Missouri, conduct one, conduct of the parties during the marriage, one of the factors in Illinois, uh, the statute excludes conduct of the parties. So that's interesting, which again, I think plays to the differences between the states in terms of how this can work. In terms of spousal maintenance, um, Missouri, Illinois, differences in the statutes, differences in the language, but overall kind of similar concepts in a lot of ways, although Illinois uh, has changed things to have uh, uh, a more specific formula uh, if if the party's income is under a certain uh, threshold in terms of uh, maintenance, which is this new maintenance law that went into effect over in Illinois, which is really interesting. Um, But to not get too specific there and just compare Missouri and Illinois in terms of conduct of the parties, uh, the court looks at the reasonable needs of the parties in assessing maintenance in Missouri and you know, looks at, at the reasonable needs and the income of the party seeking ma- uh, maintenance, also looks at the reasonable needs and the income of the party, um, you know, the other party who's not seeking maintenance theoretically, but the party who's being asked to pay maintenance by the other spouse. And so the court looks at at both the parties and then looks at various factors. Uh, And there's all kinds of factors the court can look at, like length of the marriage, uh, you know, uh, uh, obviously the standard of living during the marriage. And there's multiple factors. But, again, the one factor I want to focus on here today is the factor of the conduct of the parties during the marriage. Uh, The Missouri statute allows the court to look at that one factor along with various other ones. So theoretically, in Missouri, the conduct of the parties during marriage could affect a maintenance case. doesn't have to. It could be that the judge completely disregards it. Uh, it could be that the court is swayed uh, based, on the, based on the conduct of the parties during the marriage uh, uh, in terms of a maintenance award. But uh, at the end of the day, again, it gives the court the ability to look at it. Over in Illinois, it's excluded again. So in, in determining uh, spousal maintenance in Illinois, it's excluded from the statute. So in Illinois, courts aren't supposed to consider the conduct of the parties during the marriage and making a maintenance determination. And then finally, let's talk about uh, the issue of, of child custody. Obviously, uh, in child custody cases, courts to look at the best interest of the child. Uh, when considering, you know, various factors again, and, and the court can can look at all sorts of different things. You know, generally speaking, you know, conduct of the parties that doesn't 
uh, affect the kids, uh, that doesn't impact the kids' best interest and well-being. You know, generally speaking, um, this won't have an effect on a custody decision, but it could be a situation, uh, theoretically, with a new, uh, 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 let's say, if it's cheating or an affair, the new boyfriend or girlfriend, Let's say they have a checkered past. Let's say they've had some sort of criminal problems in the past. Let's say maybe they've been abusive to the kids in some manner or capacity. Um, you know, could a court take that into account in Missouri and Illinois determining custody? I mean, theoretically, yes. Uh, in some instances, you know, if one party uh, picks up an elise and, and, and abandons the household and the kids, could that have an effect on child custody? Yeah, I mean, in Missouri and Illinois, that could be one factor a court could look at, uh, and then you could follow that in terms of uh, financial misconduct. Let's say one of the parties uh, has a gambling problem and they're gambling away you know, a lot of money and they're not home with the kids. Uh, could that be a factor in determining child custody? Theoretically, it could. And so uh, in Missouri and Illinois, conduct of the parties, if it impacts the kids in a way that affects the well-being and best interest of the kids, it can be a factor uh, that the courts can look at. And so that would be the case in Missouri and Illinois. And again, uh, it's important to look at the state statutes uh, uh, in which any listener uh, is living in for their specific situation in order to get guidance. But again, this is a topic in terms of uh, marital misconduct and divorce, definitely an interesting topic. And while marital misconduct doesn't need to be shown in order to get divorced, at the end of the day, uh, you see variances between Missouri and Illinois, uh, but the important thing to note is that in some states, marital misconduct can still have an ultimate impact on the outcome while not needing to be shown in order to get divorced. So it could affect property and debt division. It could affect spousal maintenance theoretically, and it could affect child custody uh, based on the facts as well if there's an effect on the kids. And so uh, it's important, that, you know, if, if you think marital misconduct is a big issue in your case, you have a great deal of concern about it, it's definitely important to consult with an attorney who's licensed and competent to practice in your jurisdiction to discuss what the ramifications of that marital misconduct might be. So definitely an interesting topic. Again, as a follow-up to the episode, go to familylawheadquarters.com and check out the article dated September 6, 2015, titled, What Effect Does Marital Misconduct Have in a Divorce? Thanks for tuning in. Stay tuned to our next episode coming up. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to Family Law Talk. Family Law Talk. With Kirk Stange. Visit StangeLawFirm.com for more about today's topic or to put Stangy Law Firm to work for your family today. The choice of a lawyer is an important decision that should not be based solely upon advertisements. Neither the Supreme Court of Missouri or Illinois reviews or approves certifying organizations or specialist designations. The information you obtain on this podcast is not, nor is it intended to be legal advice. You should contact an attorney for advice regarding your individual situation. We invite you to contact us and welcome your calls, letters, and electronic mail. Contacting us does not create an attorney-client relationship. Please do not send any confidential information to us until such time as an attorney-client relationship has been established. And finally, past results afford no guarantee of future results. And every case is different and must be judged on its own merits. Kirk Stingy is responsible for the content. Principal Place of Business, 1750 South Brentwood Boulevard, Suite 401, St. Louis, Missouri, 63144.